This week, Intelsat CBR payout analysis, Washington Prime debtors reach deal on backstop and bidding procedures, Lime Tree Bay refining gears up for Chapter 11, and Boy Scouts enter into RSA and file fourth amended plan. Hello and welcome to the Reorg Podcast, where we bring you the latest developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm David Zupkis. Julian Boulan will be joining me for the week in review. For this week's deep dive, we will be featuring a replay of Reorg's May webinar, where Reorg's Asia Core Credit team was joined by industry guest Eshwar Kara from Kotex Special Situations Fund for a discussion on direct lending in India. It's Friday, July 9th. This week, Reorg subscribers retreated to some premium content where Reorg published an Excel model analyzing the contingent value rights, or CVRs, and the projected payouts under the competing plan proposals in Intelsat. CVRs payout depending on the amount by which net C-band relocation proceeds to Intelsat exceed expectations. The CVRs have been a significant point of contention between Intelsat, Jackson Unsecured Holders, and Hold co-creditors amid ongoing plan negotiations. Intelsat expects to receive C-band relocation payments in two phases. billion in 2022, and roughly $3.7 billion in 2024. The company has indicated it expects to be reimbursed for clearing costs, but expects to incur over $200 million of operating costs that will not be reimbursed, resulting in an expected net payment of nearly $4.7 billion. The company's plan, along with the company and Jackson crossover group proposals disclosed on April 7th, allocate a percentage of excess C-band proceeds above the roughly $4.9 billion expected, to certain creditors in the form of additional equity in most cases. There are numerous differences between the various plan proposals that have been publicly circulated to date. One aspect of the differences between the April 7th company and Jackson proposals is the amount of cash recovery contemplated for Jackson unsecured note holders. The Jackson unsecured proposal contemplates a cash recovery of $625 million, $125 million less than the company's April 7th proposal. Under the company's proposal, the CVR proceeds would be paid in the form of reorganized equity at plan equity value. For example, under the filed plan, if excess proceeds totaled $200 million, then 50% or $100 million would be allocated to creditors in the form of reorganized Intelsat equity, which, at a $3.75 billion plan equity value, would entitle creditors to 2.67% of reorganized equity before dilution from a management incentive plan. Reorg analyzed the impact of the value of the CVRs on Jackson Unsecured and ICF, or Intel SatConnect Finance, recoveries by sensitizing the amount of excess C-band proceeds received and simultaneously sensitizing illustrative equity values under the debtor's filed plan and two disclosed alternative plan proposals. If you are interested in accessing Reorg's in-depth coverage of Intelsat, please reach out to a Reorg sales representative. Judge Marvin Isger on Thursday evening approved the Washington Prime Group debtors' bidding procedures and backstop commitment agreement motions after the debtors resolved the outstanding objections lodged by the ad hoc preferred shareholder group to the bidding and backstop motion with an agreement in principle subject to documentation. Debtors' counsel outlined the framework for the settlement, which would include the preferred shareholder group's participation rights in the backstop equity financing, a $2.7 million expense reimbursement, and an RSA termination fee in an amount to be determined. Debtors' counsel told the court that using the marketing process contemplated under the bidding procedures would quote-unquote let the market speak and avoid a battle of the experts on valuation at confirmation. Counsel added that the marketing efforts commenced pre-petition and that the debtors have had contacts with 37 parties post-petition in addition to the 19 pre-petition contacts and are actively engaged in negotiations with potential bidders. Counsel touted the considered trajectory of the cases and, in particular, the debtors' hard-fought efforts to secure a floor recovery for equity from the plan sponsor 
and the meaningful go-shot provision, which has the potential to further increase equity recoveries. The debtor's motion to approve the proposed disclosure statement is slated for hearing on Monday, July 12th at 10 a.m. Eastern, which the debtors expect to be unopposed. According to sources, Lime Tree Bay Refining is working with Baker Hostetler's counsel and B. Riley as financial advisor as the U.S. Virgin Islands-based refiner contemplates a near-term bankruptcy filing. The filing is expected after the refinery failed to secure funding to help it restart operations. In the wake of repeated flare failures and noxious emissions of sulfur dioxide and hydrogen sulfide above the legal limit, the EPA filed a 60-day order on May 14th that mandates the refinery close until an environmental compliance and process audit is complete and the agency certifies that operations can safely resume. AMP Capital, a significant investor in the capital structure, recently held pitches for a financial advisor, the sources said. AMP holds about $200 million of bonds at the terminal level, making the investor a notable participant in any future debt restructuring. Lime Tree Bay Terminals, an affiliate of Lime Tree Bay Refining, is unlikely to file Chapter 11 at the same time as a refinery, according to the sources. The terminal entity has sufficient liquidity from cash on hand and funds from operations to meet its obligations, the sources said. Terminals currently generates about 60% of its cash flow from non-refining customers, and a standalone terminal entity can replace the refinery with another customer, they added. Sources report that there is no cross-collateralization for debt at the terminal and refinery levels. Late last week, the Boy Scouts of America debtors filed a fourth amended plan disclosure statement. The plan incorporates the terms of the newly unveiled restructuring support agreement between the debtors and the tort claimants committee, the coalition, the future claimants representative, the ad hoc committee of local councils, and certain state court counsel. The Boy Scouts debtors also filed a motion seeking approval of the RSA. The fourth amended plan removes the toggle plan previously contemplated in the prior plan iteration and provides for increased contributions from the debtors and locals councils pursuant to the terms of the RSA. The amended plan also incorporates litigation claim resolution procedures for abuse claims and provides for a channeling injunction in various releases. The treatment for non-abuse claims remains unchanged. At a status conference on Thursday, Debtors Council highlighted that the RSA and Fourth Amendment plan provides for a $850 million total liquidated contribution to the settlement fund, noting that in addition to $250 million in contributions from the debtors, the local councils have agreed to increase their aggregate contribution to $600 million from $500 million under the prior plan iteration. At the hearing, the debtors' insurers and charter organizations did not share the debtors' enthusiasm for the amended plan, stating that they did not share in the debtors' celebration of success and argued that significant changes were made to the proposed plan that require additional time to review and argued for an extended timeline, emphasizing that the insurers have been largely excluded from the mediation sessions and that the debtors have essentially turned the case over to the claimant constituencies to the detriment of the insurers. Judge Lori Selber-Silverstein agreed with the debtors, insurers, and chartered organizations and pushed back the hearings to approve the RSA and disclosure statement so as to provide time for people to do appropriate discovery and to comprehensively brief the matters. Although she commended the debtors and the major claimant constituencies for their significant achievement, Judge Silverstein urged the parties to continue negotiations and to bring others into the fold, such as the chartered organizations and insurers, saying that a consensual plan is preferable. Judge Silverstein scheduled the hearing on the RSA motion for July 29th through 30. The DS approval hearing was pushed to August 12th through 13. The debtors originally sought to have both matters heard on July 20th. Top Red Stories this week included Purdue debtors seek to double their funds. Supremes asked to consider equitable mootness. Equities of the case at work in UST taxes. Judge Sanchi's patience. GTT receives notice of default from notes and denture trustee and reporting covenant. 60-day cure period to comply. AMC no longer seeking approval to increase common shares by $25 million in annual meeting. 
Amerisaurus Bergen seeks judgment due to plaintiff's failure to prove culpable conduct during case in chief. Jim Holloway is out this week on one of his summer adventures. The man loves the heat. I'll be filling in for him on the week ahead. On Monday, July 12th, in the Katara Chapter 11 cases, we have the second day hearing and the final dip hearing. On Tuesday, July 13th, in Malincrot, we have an omnibus hearing. On Wednesday, July 14th, in the CBL Chapter 11 cases, we have the final cash collateral hearing. And on Thursday, July 15th, Accelera Technologies is due to make a $50 million coupon payment on its 10% senior secured notes. And next up, a replay of our May webinar where Reorg's Asia Core Credit Team was joined by industry guest Eshwar Kara from Kotex Special Situations Fund for a discussion on direct lending in India and the attendant challenges, risks, and rewards. Hello, and welcome to Reorg's very first India webinar. The subject for our panel discussion today is direct lending in India, the challenges, risks, and rewards. Please note, we'll be taking questions after, for the audience, uh, from the audience today and uh, please submit your questions using the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. Um, also for your information, a replay of this webinar will be available on the Reorg Media page later today for Reorg subscribers. Um, let's get started by introducing our panelists today. We're delighted to welcome Ishwar Kara, CEO of Cortex Special Situations Fund based in Mumbai. Ishwar was a founding member of Cortex Distressed Asset Business and helped the group invest over 25 billion rupees. That's about 340 million US dollars of proprietary capital in distressed assets. Ishwar also managed 1 billion USD of assets as the CEO of Phoenix ERC, which is sponsored by the Kodak Mahindra Group. Since 2019, Ishwar, through Kodak Special Situations Fund, has deployed half a billion US dollars across eight investments. Since the beginning of this year, Kodak Special Situations has invested in, among others, deals for AGS Transact, prestigious states project and HKR roadways. Ishwar is a veteran investor, direct, directly involved in numerous situations and perfectly placed to tell us what the current trends and future expectations for direct lending space in India. Welcome Ishwar. Also joining us from Mumbai is Rajkumar Shaw, a senior reporter with Reorg, who has been covering a number of high profile distress lending uh, and direct lending situations. Raj will be walking us through key aspects of some of the deals he's been covering recently. Uh, welcome, Raj. Um, private credit is a current hot topic globally, but also in Asia, where funds raised for the strategy have grown substantially over recent years. But the investment landscape in Asia is very different from markets in the US or Europe, where deep pools of institutional capital combined with unified currency and legal regimes to create what are arguably more commoditized markets for private debt. But Asia is growing rapidly and attracting strong investor interests. Raj, I will let you walk us through the data in a short while. Investing in Asia involves navigating multiple geographies, languages, cultures, and currencies, and legal regimes. While this represents more of a challenge, as many may argue, it, it can also offer better opportunities and greater security through customized lending structures. Within Asia's diverse set of mature, emerging, and frontier markets, India is seen as a huge opportunity for direct lending, commencing particularly in 2016 with the establishment of a new insolvency and bankruptcy regime. To many, the opportunity has failed to fully emerge due to what is seen as excessive bureaucracy, lengthy resolution processes, extended court battles, and better risk-adjusted returns from other geographies. So, what is the opportunity in India? What are the challenges investors face? and what strategies can be deployed to overcome them. 
um, I'd like to start off uh, today's discussion with a question to Mr. Kara. Uh, Mr. Kara, you've been covering this market for many, many years. Um, how do you see the level of opportunities right now and, and what factors are influencing deal opportunities? Um, is it also true that liquidity flowing into the system uh, during COVID has compressed returns on deals? Yeah, thanks a lot, Nidhi. And uh, yes, yeah, since last year, we've been working on this space uh, quite aggressively. And I think what has happened is that there has been a lot of dislocation because of the COVID situation. And uh, that has thrown up a lot of opportunities for us. It has helped us consume it, our transactions and our, our pipeline that we had built over the last uh, two years. And that's why you see a flurry of activities in the last few months. And as you might be aware, the last quarter of uh, the financial year, which is essentially the JFM quarter, is usually the time when uh, the banks are keen to close transactions in India. So having said that, we have been able to deploy close to 50% of our total corpus of a billion dollars across eight investments, which uh, are primarily in uh, cutting across infra, real estate, manufacturing, and uh, touch wood things look quite exciting right now. And another point that I'd like to make is that uh, the situation has been, uh, you know, kind of uh, favorable to us because of the dislocation in the, in the financial services industry as well. I think we've had a lot of tailwinds because of that. A lot of large funds have evacuated the Indian market. A lot of wholesale NBFCs who used to play the uh, uh, special sets or rather structured credit market, they have gone slow. And that has led to a lot of uh, opportunities for us. And so across the spectrum of our four strategies that we have, which is special sets, uh, you know, IBC, free IBC cases, on IBC, and as well as liquidation, we have seen a lot of activity in the first space. So we've kind of deployed, uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, at least 30% of our uh, corpus in the special sets space currently. And uh, liquidity, yes, there has been a flurry of liquidity in the market, but thankfully it's not come into this space. And that's kind of fortunate for us that uh, the market has kind of uh, matured in the equity space. A lot of money has come in over there. There's a lot of money which has come into uh, the credit market, that is the wholesale credit, but all AAA credit, but not in the distress space. So for the last year, we have kind of had a pretty good home run. Brilliant. Thanks, Mr. Kara. Just as a follow-up, if I could just um, get some broad views on you know, the, the kind of deals you've closed in the past year and maybe just broad stroke comments and stuff that's coming through to your yeah, desk um, this year? Right. So we've just uh, closed a transaction a couple of days back, which we've announced yesterday in the infra space, a fairly large road asset that we have covered. We started off with our first investment in a steel asset. That was a company called Jindal Stainless Limited, which was in the CDR platform. For those who are not aware, CDR is where uh, companies go into for corporate debt restructuring. And there was a situation where it turned the corner. So we funded it through a debt and equity mixture. And that was uh, in uh, February of last year. 
Since then, we have helped an acquisition of a cement asset uh, in the East by a large cement player who, who uh, wanted to consolidate his position in that region. Since then, we have also done a transaction in the nutraceutical space, a very uh, exciting space for us, where we intend to uh, put out further capital. And uh, a couple which you have mentioned uh, earlier, like AGS Transact, which is essentially financial services and real estate. We have on the IBC platform acquired a real estate, commercial real estate asset, as well as funded some of the business uh, players. William, thank you so much, Mr. Kara. Uh, maybe I can swap uh, a question on to Raj. Uh, Raj, hi, welcome. Um, Raj, uh, you know, you're the resident uh, private equity, private debt um, person for Reorg in India. Um, could you tell us what kind of deals Reorg has been covering and um, are there any trends we see, especially in the past year with COVID-19? Right. Thank you, Nidhi. Welcome, Ishwar, and hello, everyone. First of all, let me walk you through some of the broad uh, Asia private debt numbers so that this will put things in perspective. So according to Prekin data, the number of private debt investors in Asia rose from 115 in 2014 to 610 as of January 2021. And correspondingly, the AUM size also rose from $28 billion to nearly $64 billion over the same period. Again, according to Trikin, as of January 2021, currently there are 44 private debt funds in the market that are focused on Asia with $11 billion of capital that's targeted. And this is up from 38 at the beginning of 2020. And so we see that the number of funds have risen actually in the COVID period. So now let's talk about some of the deals uh, which we have been covering, which Riyog has been covering. So last year, when the COVID-19 pandemic struck and India went into a lockdown from March 2020 onwards, the initial reaction of investors was to wait and watch. Many of the buy-side funds that Riyog has been talking to, they said that they would like to first wait, assess the situation, analyze, and then make any fresh investments. The basic idea was to handhold and guide the companies they had already invested in rather than make any fresh bets. But then gradually as the year progressed, some normalcy returned. And in, in the second half of the financial year, we saw the deals happening. And it was across the spectrum. Open offer financing, one-time settlement of debt, loan refinancing, growth funding, and acquisition financing. Now let me take you through two, three of the key deals that Yog has reported. Vedanta raised $427 million out of an up to $1 billion facility from a fund of Oak Tree Capital to finance the open offer of the shares of Vedanta Limited. The pricing on this one was 13.5% to 13.875% range, as Riyog has reported. Next, three investors, Goldman Sachs, Cerberus, and Edelweiss, came together to pool $300 million for a one-time settlement of the debt of Kolkata-based Kesoram Industries Limited. And all this bulk of the funding was through NCDs and the coupon varied from 9.1% for the first 18 months, 11.3% from 19 to 36 months, and 13.1% for the rest of the term. But there was a 
additional interest that was supposed to be paid up front and uh, and the and the rest was payable over the next 12 months so basically all these deals whenever this happens the irr works out to around 20% or 20 plus then there was a very interesting deal which riog has reported was on starlight power transmission and this deal actually shows that the liquidity in the system compresses the returns so in this transaction lnt finance provided the equivalent of 150 million dollars to starlight power transmission at 15 to 16% ina returns and this was after undercutting a consortium of bearing private equity asia and alliance global offer of 19% local currency returns however and me too rajkumar if i may add okay and uh, and in, however in the second tranche starlight power transmission raised 27 million dollars from alliance global at 18% inr yeah back to unity thanks mr kara unless you've got any comments uh, to that uh, maybe i can i can ask you another question um uh you know it it comes up yes. a lot and, and um, you know during our reporting as well that particularly from a lot of overseas investors um what's the ease of uh, you know conducting due diligence in india or um, say versus you know versus a more perceived mature market um and you know if you could walk us through how that has changed in the covid-19 environment yes nidhi i see a lot of my friends uh, on the on the guest speaker list and some of them have operated in india and all of them know how challenging it is to do due diligence in india you have to always uh, take all data with a pinch of salt and you have to factor in another certain 5 10% for some risks which you may not have assessed earlier so yes it is a challenge and more so during the covid times and to be honest i am an old school guy and i have not faced the challenges in due diligence and work from home environment i have always been of the view that you had to visit factories you had to do uh, get into meeting rooms and discuss with your lawyers with your dd uh, you know vendors but all that has changed over the last year and a half where we have got used to this uh, new way of working and uh, we have fallen in place it's not that bad i would say we have got uh, eight deals done during the lockdown so it does work but yes it is challenging to do due diligence uh, in this environment uh, coming to uh, you know the space of work etc yes because of moratorium put by the uh, the government on the ibc process so things are moving a little slowly but uh, as i mentioned the wholesale nbfc space has the special situations or structured credit space like the transaction which uh, you all have just mentioned the lnt and sterlite transaction that is quite open for a lot of players who have uh, the capital to put out brilliant and and if i could get your thoughts on uh, you know timelines i presume you were hinting that they are they are getting stretched and well, I, you know the that's that, right. that has a lot of that's right nidhi so a lot of transactions uh, which typically in our field it would you would you should budget for around 3 to 6 months to consummate a transaction some transactions that we have done in the last quarter were essentially transactions which were supposed to close probably last year 
and uh, because of you know uh, the environment and situations beyond people's control they have all got stretched but i'm not complaining the reason being is that some of the equity deals that i did uh, were priced in uh, in the first wave and we were in the money in a lot of those transactions so sometimes holding on does pay off right sir Apologies, we might have cut you off for, for a couple of seconds, but I think the gist was uh, quite clear. Um, you know, just related to um, due diligence and you know your your stretch timelines, etc. I think just a natural follow up would be um, how do you measure earnings in this in this environment? Uh, you know, you're talking about metrics about how to do due diligence for these deals. Um, I'm just wondering with lockdowns, etc. Earnings are impacted. So, any thoughts on that? Yes, you have to run your sensitivities. and you have to uh, look beyond uh, the temporary covid situation you have to get to your models and factor in normal uh, you know uh, business as usual or maybe at least at the 75% mark i think the key is only when you run your sensitivities to predict what are the timelines when the business comes back to normalcy so i think uh, that's why a you need to pick your investments quite closely in the sense that you have to be certain that the company would survive after all this and that's why you have to pick the winners in the industry so that's important for us and also the counterparty the promoter in each case as you might be aware most of indian companies are promoter driven and not a professional management driven so therefore you need to bet on proper counterparties to be sure and that's what we've done we've selected and being on the ground and being entrenched within india we have selected our counterparties very carefully and uh, where we have not been so comfortable we have actually owned the assets we have gone for a complete buyout of those assets and that's the simple philosophy that we follow right i thank you for that um if i could just um shift gears a bit and and kind of go towards the more bureaucracy and legal and regulatory side of things um you know these things could could be a drag on 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 deal factors and time factors etc so um you know in the current market environment that we are in um do you think that these uh, these factors are accelerating deals uh with people you know looking for alternative solutions to the um IBC process that's right nidhi so we have shifted our own focus to transactions which are pre IBC uh the recent transaction that we announced yesterday was also uh uh an asset which would have normally found its way into the IBC but we have done a bilateral deal with the existing bankers and given them a one time settlement most of our other transactions are all bilateral in nature which would be uh, in the form of uh, you know structured credit or acquisition financing so we have focused more on our first two strategies but having said that we did consummate a transaction on the ibc platform during the lockdown so it's not that it's uh, it's something that we are not pursuing and as we both in the liquidation space as well as on the ibc platform so it takes its own time and i think uh, 
in the next uh, 50% of our deployment of the fund, we will be focusing more on, on, on uh, opportunities in that space. Understandable. Thank you, Mr. Kara. Um, you know, we've started around um, COVID-19. We've, we've approached it from the, from the deal's perspective, but um, perhaps a direct COVID-19 question to you, Raj. Uh, you know, what sectors do you think are that are more likely to present lending opportunities in the near term, uh, both performing and non-performing? And I think you've mentioned to me in the past that uh, you're saying a number of sources are telling you that infrastructure deals are quite hot right now. So um, you could walk us through uh, the sectors you think are quite interesting to look at. Right. So going by the deals that Riyog has reported and what our reporting team has been gathering from speaking to sources and investors. So definitely there is a clear preference for companies that are backed by physical assets over companies that are into service. So the thought process is that, that since these companies have assets, the downside risk is protected. And also, there is a play happening on the global commodity cycle. So hence, as a result, infrastructure has become the top favorite for investors and sectors, and the preferred sectors are road, steel, and cement. Now, let me take you through some of the top names in these sectors that we have covered and are covering. In the road sector, Patna Highway Projects, so this company was in NCLT and was acquired by Silver Point for 9 billion rupees. And incidentally, Silver Point was also the largest holder of the debt. Then we have Transtroy Tirupati Tiruthanni Chennai Tollways. Again, this was also in NCLT and it was acquired by Blackstone Bank, International Asset Reconstruction Company Private Limited, which is better known as IERC. Then we have a currently going on this ongoing story, ongoing coverage on Raja Mundri Godavari Bridge. This road bridge project is undergoing a CIP through the IBC process. And there are 11 prospective bidders who have shown interest for this asset. Some of the top names are Apollo Global Bank, Arcyon Revitalization, Blackstone's IERC, Avenue Capital's Arcel, Silver Point, and Eight Capital Advisory Private Limited the local partner of JC Flowers. Then other deal which we have reported and which Ishwar has hinted at, but not mentioned the name, let me uh, the give you the details for that. HKR Roadways. So Kotak, uh, Ishwar's Kotak fund has given 7 billion rupees to settle the debt of this company with the lenders. And they will also acquire a 74% equity stake in the project. Moving on to steel sector, Satvahana Ispath, so the lenders are planning a one-time settlement of the debt of the company and JC Flowers has emerged as the highest bidder. And based on this, the lenders are thinking of calling a Swiss auction. Rohit Ferro Tech Limited, this Kolkata-based company, we started coverage this week only. The company is in NCLT. And there are currently 11 prospective bidders, which includes big names like Vedanta, Tata Steel Mining, and Jindal Stainless Steel. The interesting thing to note here is that until September, the only the ARCs and small steel companies were interested in acquiring the asset. However, from the start of the new year, we, uh, this year, that is 2021, we have seen that as the metal prices started rallying, the big names showed interest and they have been raising their bids. Now on to cement. Stangi Industries, for almost a year, this company has been in the market looking, looking for private finance 
to pay off existing NCD holders. Finally, the this deal got done in February 2021, where Edelweiss India Stretched Asset Fund and Bank of America subscribed to nearly three billion rupees NCDs of the company. The coupon ranged from 14% for the first 12 months, 15 for the 13 to 24, and 16 for the rest of the tenure. Then there's a very small, uh, interesting deal we covered. We broke news on that first, uh, though a very small in size, just two billion rupees. So Hyderabad-based steel, steel, the cement producer, Parashakti Cement, raised two billion rupees or 200 crores from SC Lovi at 21% coupon to buy out partner Penna Cement's stake in the company. And as we know, Penna Cement has announced an IPO this week. Thank you, and back to you, Nithi. Thanks, Raj. Um, that's wonderful color and the deals we've covered, uh, Mr. Kara. If I can volley that question over to you, um, in terms of you know what sectors you think are offering these opportunities, um, you know, in the performing or non-performing space, um, in and you know anything if you wanted to add uh, to Raj's point. Yes, I agree. Uh, really, the inf NPLs in our economy. So while I have uh, just consummated a road transaction, we are also in the market to raise a special dedicated infra fund, uh, uh, which is being managed by my infra uh, team, which will be a $800 million fund, which will look at essentially roads and uh, infra. Because uh, I am a, a sector agnostic fund and hence, Uh, there is only so much that I would be able to do, given the volume of NPLs, and I think that in the next year we will see a lot of opportunities, a lot of closures, largely because that the banks have provided sufficiently for these assets, and I think that's where the opportunity lies when all the funds would be able to deploy large sums of capital to acquire or rehabilitate these assets. Wonderful. Thank you both. Um, I'd just like to remind our listeners uh, that we are taking questions. This is a live event. If you'd like to submit questions, uh, please click on the Q and A uh, tab on the bottom of your screen. Um, you know, we're we're happy to we're happy to start taking questions uh, right away. Um, I thank uh, both Mr. Kara and Raj for their views earlier. You can see we've got a couple of questions coming in. I'll let them uh, fully form. Right. Um, we've got a question coming in. Oh, hang on, let me see from the from the panel. Um, just as a follow up to the to the sectors um, where private lending is expected to rise, um, our only stressed uh, distressed banks currently exploring private funding op um, options and um, how its pricing contracted impacted it. I guess this kind of goes back to you know our initial discussion, Mr. Kara. If you'd like to. If you'd like to comment on, you know, whether there, whether these are only stressed and distressed names that are currently exploring private lending opportunities. At the moment, that seems to be the flavor of the month, Nidhi. But having said that, come the uh, you know moratorium, which the RBI has removed from uh, corporate restructuring and declaration of NPLs, I would see a lot of other companies who are who have stretched balance sheets. Also coming into the market to uh, restructure their loans, and uh, as you might be aware, it's not so easy to uh, get bank funding to restructure an existing bank loan. Optimized and uh, fund-like uh, structures 
where you have picks, you have uh, lower uh, coupons, you have even moratorium on principles, etc. So those kind of uh, structures and also maybe converting part of the debt into equity. So I would see a lot of uh, companies which are uh, probably not yet in default, not yet not NPLs, which would start coming in in the next uh, uh, financial year, in this, in this financial year rather. Oh, I see. Thank you. Thank you for that, Mr. Kara. Apologies. Um, we've actually got a couple of other questions lined up as well. Um, I think one uh, that if I could uh, want to refer to you as well, um, you know, would you see um, the impacts on investors due to the recent change um, in the DHFL resolution? I think our questioner is asked, is referring to DHFL. Um, if you'd like to, if you'd like to pick that up. See, the uh, Supreme Court has always upheld the sanctity of the commercial wisdom of the COC. And uh, that has been a precedent. And there has been a recent case law also where the, uh, the higher courts have upheld the liquidator's position in decision-making with respect to commercial wisdom. And I would uh, suspect that is the way this would go also. Oh, so thank you. Um, thank you uh, to our questioners. Um, I see another one queued up, um, and um, perhaps I can wallet that first to you, Mr. Kara, and then perhaps to Raj as well. Um, I think this goes back to your comments regarding um, you know, accessibility and availability of bank funding to certain credits. But just on that, um, you know, of course, larger, larger Indian companies have more access to capital. But uh, do you think that going forward in the next uh, few years, um, there are only SMEs or small companies that could tap the private lending space in the, say, 100 to 150 million uh, range? Do you think that's, that's something that your trend analysis is showing you? No, not necessary. I am seeing a lot of opportunities where the big guys are trying to consolidate. And they are looking at uh, acquisition funding and mind you that a lot of the large Indian corporates are uh, quite stretched uh, on their balance sheet themselves. So they don't want to go down the uh, debt route. So uh, I think there is a great opportunity to partner with such large corporates who want to consolidate and come in and participate in the form of uh, equity or quasi-equity structure. I see great opportunity over there. Understood. Thank you. Um, perhaps Raj, um, if, you, if you've got any comments or, or broader sort of, you know, uh, uh, trend analysis from our reporting internally. So I think from the buy side perspective, what uh, we gather that return of capital is more important than return on capital. So basically the first is, let me, will I get my money back? So irrespective of whether it's a big company, whether it's a small company, mid-size, I think that is on top of everybody's mind whenever an investment is made. But nevertheless, I think there's a great emerging opportunity in companies in the $100 million to 150 range, where I think that space is opening up because uh, the traditional avenues are coming, uh, closing down. And this is where uh, I think some of the, most of the deals we have seen uh, in the last one year, I think, the big deals has been one or two only. And uh, some of the companies, and also the big com big companies, mind you, they also have access to the bond market overseas. 
which they can raise the money so private deals i think that is one fund and this uh, one uh, uh, fund actually uh, targeting a strategy focused on this kind of company also the, the big uh, uh, thing we are seeing is that the loan securitization so that is one area that is developing where all these pfcs are selling down selling their loans and till now the trend has been corporate loans are being sold down where the builder loans but the emerging trend which is still very young is that the personal loan the retail loans are getting securitized and they, that are getting sold down issue is that uh, something that is going to be talked about the because of the personal insolvencies and the personal loans the small ticket sizes we saw one or two deals happening in that space is that you are tracking also uh no we don't track the smaller uh, ticket space because uh, 50 million dollars so mm -hmm. we don't look at the smaller space but what we are tracking closely is the development of the uh, pre packs and mm -hmm. i think that's going pretty fast and we are quite keen to see how that when the regulations do come out and formalize that how we can participate over there because speed of deployment is very very critical for us in a fund where you have a limited time span to deploy and to you know harvest uh, if you're going to be spending 2 years in consummating a transaction it doesn't work so we are really keen and excited about the prepack opportunities which will come brilliant um I think there are a couple of questions lined up as well. Um, I'll try to take them in uh, maybe you know in in order of where the discussions are at the moment. Um, speaking of this trend, I think one question that's come in is, um, would you think of the new ARC or, or bad bank? Um, I think uh, perhaps Ishwar, if I can volley that over to you first, and then I, I'm I'm sure Raj will have some comments as well. Yeah, my first cut reaction on the bad bank is that it's an excellent idea. given the construct from what i am gathering uh is that they would actually buy the loans from the banks at net book value so that removes the ever uh, prevailing controversy of pricing out of the equation so that the disconnect is usually on pricing so when you start buying these loans on net book value basis then there is no question of you know debate or haggling the second point from what i understand in the construct is that all banks will be obliged to sell their loans to the arc to the uh, this uh, state run arc so which makes debt aggregation very easy and it's a one stop shop now we all know and having been in this business for the last two decades i know how long it takes and how difficult it is to aggregate loans so here is an institution who is going to at net book value consolidate all the loans at one go and then they will call upon funds or they would want to do it on by themselves but you will get a faster resolution and from our perspective as a fund it makes so much more sense to just go and deal with one arc to give them a solution if it works fine if it doesn't then we go on to our next trade so i think it's an excellent idea and it's been a long time coming right sir and um raj i mean internally we've had multiple discussions about bad bank we you know we we've, we've kind of have 
stuff like is it too too good to be true or you know how good is it on paper implementation etc if you could just walk us through like you know how um in in terms of um, intelligence gathering uh, broader comments from from the market as well incidentally uh, just this week uh, our india reporting team dipika myself we had reported something uh, very interesting on the bad bank so the first news is that finally this ceo has been appointed and that's padma kumar uh, mr padma kumar m nayar who is the was the state asset head of sbi he would be leading the charge so basically we have now something from the drawing board which is going to become a concrete plan and uh, incidentally uh, what we have reported this week earlier this week is that there's a list of npls that are being considered preliminary discussions are being on among the banks that these are the names that could be transferred uh, and the list includes lavasa corporation videocon uh, videocon oil ventures aban offshore esa power gujarat supreme infrastructure windworld india supreme panvel indapur tollways nsl textile mittal corporation and raj rayon industries to name so these are the preliminary discussion this list is being dis- debated and discussed and finally uh, uh, this will form the part of the bad bank and also we gathered that uh, this was supposed to be operational in the first quarter of the current financial year but that has got delayed uh, due to the covid 19 the second wave so i think uh, maybe in the second quarter definitely uh, there is a likelihood that the bank bank can become operational and also since uh, this time uh, the discussions had been in the past many times but this time the seriousness of the government can be gauged by the fact that it was announced in the budget by the finance minister yes yeah. and if i may add rajkumar yeah uh, all these names that you mentioned are very complicated mm. assets yeah yeah and since it is uh, we don't have group insolvency as yet in india mm. it becomes very difficult to uh, find a res- resolution plan so consolidating the loans of yeah. these companies especially infra companies with one arc helps mm. in in a great way you know either even if they want to resolve or they come to a fund like us we could you know give them a solution which is so much easier to execute mm. but on the flip side i think there is some skepticism because uh, previously also the state run lenders have come together and formed an arc like rc is the case in point so but uh, of course uh, uh, we'll see how things goes and but this time definitely there is more to it than uh, just talks and i think this is a lot of action going on in the back right if i could just um you know play devil's advocate for a moment um i'd just like to just check with um you know both people maybe mr para first um in terms of um you know growing pains or or you know this idea being great uh, on paper but uh, being a bit difficult to kick off the ground in execution um you know in terms of expected um Uh, expected glitches or 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 stalls in the in the roadmap of um, anything in particular that concern you judiciary and the timelines have always concerned me you know the ibc came saying that there was a 270 resolved but uh, you know some industries like you know services industries 
and uh, you know consumer facing industries they decline very fast and their value erodes so if you don't mm. find a solution within the first year there's probably no value left so we do find solutions for infra assets like steel cement and roads you know even if it is a procrastinated kind of a resolution but for those sectors you will find it very difficult to find buyers at all i see and and, and raj i mean in terms of you know putting that putting that um critical um hat on um what do you think the the biggest challenges for this bad bank would be the biggest challenge is finding a buyer you can pull these aspects together that is uh, no brainer but who will buy unless you fix the policy side of the things let's say 60% of all bad uh, the total npl side in india is 10 lakh crore 10 trillion rupees to 12 trillion rupees which works out to roughly 135 billion dollars to 150 billion dollars going by various estimates now 60 65% of this is infrastructure and even in that 75% is thermal projects now if you don't put the thermal projects uh, the supply side whether you how to give the coal whether who will purchase the thing and also will it be viable for the incoming buyer to purchase whole world is moving towards uh, uh, renewable assets will will there be a market and will somebody why would somebody put his money and then there are esg factors for the foreign funds so it become very complex you can put the, all these eggs together but you have to find a buyer so finding a buyer is the most important thing you have the buyer you can sell the asset maybe little less pricing can be negotiated but that i think is a big concern which we have been we have been reporting for the past two years and uh, as ishwar mentioned the first the big shock today was the nclt order ordering and <laughs> the promoters so so the whole idea of the nclt ibc process was the promoter should be kept away now the nclt itself says give this promoter a chance and this are coming after the rbi and uh, cci has approved the deal coc has approved the deal so all these roadblocks will definitely be there but finding the buyer is the most important thing we have we need more people like ishwar who should be ready to put the money <laughs> yeah. mine is only a billion dollar fund rajkumar i can't yes. solve india's npl problem yeah absolutely that thank you um and yeah, thank you for your uh, for your thoughts as well um i guess if you'll allow me for one other question from the audience but i think we'll um we'll take one last one um this is um basically going back to large corporates um and deleveraging um the question says um given large corporates have uh, been deleveraging where do you see bigger distress opportunities so i think that's that's a good question on sectors um uh, mr kara if you'd like to take that and raj and wali that over next to you while they are deleveraging no doubt about it but also they don't not want to uh consolidate in their want a fund to come in along with them so that there is no add on consolidation and that's where i think you can partner with the big guys on an equity kind of or a quasi equity kind of a format to consolidate but yes definitely industries are consolidating the smaller guys will get taken over and uh, across industries i am seeing this happening so uh, i think that's where the opportunities will come so the opportunities will come more 
rather than uh, structured credit, they will come more in the form of quasi-equity kind of formats. And that, I think you will have to gear yourself to take those kind of calls. I see. Um, Raj, you know, we, we run, uh, we, we've got reporting on, on high yield bond issuance. We were, we're on top of everything that goes on in India. We're, you know, we've got the high yield space covered. So um, I think juxtapose it with our reporting as well. Um, how do you see, you know, when, when, when good companies are deleveraging, uh, where are the distress opportunities? Yeah. So if you see uh, for the past one year, every company has one line which is most watched by analysts, most watched by investors. How much are they deleveraging this time? How much did they cut the debt by in the last three months? Because nobody wants a company with a lot of debt and a lot of growth. So people want growth with minimum leverage. So in the, if you see the, why this problem became, because the companies just, they took loans without any plans for growth and they kept growing. They, they thought if they increase the balance sheet at any cost, they can justify any valuation, but that is not happening. And one of the greatest learning lessons we have learned in COVID-19 is, Conservatism, conservatism, conservatism plays. So companies which are conservative with the money, which are using, cutting their debt, cutting their uh, uh, loan book, I think those are the companies where investors are favoring. Equity market is also favoring, giving higher multiples to those. Also coming back to the field thing, uh, as we said that uh, 10 trillion rupees to 12 trillion rupees is the total NPL size in India. But this is the size, this is the total basket. But out of this, the addressable debt is 25 to 30 billion dollars, which is an estimate by Edelweiss uh, they shared with us. Uh, Ishwa can, of course, uh, throw some more light on that. So this is the pool which the funds have to operate. And this is where uh, this number comes to needs to come down. So this is where the funds are focused. Attractively seeing companies which have, have an intent to cut down their debt. Kefloram Industries is one such example where uh, People were ready to rent money, $300 million, the three funds we mentioned earlier, for the company to cut it dead so that it can grow quickly. So, yeah. so that's the trend we are seeing. Anybody who comes to the market with a promise that if uh, you're himself invested in a company which wants to settle the debt. So instead of taking on debt, settling the debt is the trend. Company which wants to settle the debt so that they can grow at a reasonable pace, reasonable size, so that is the idea, I think. This is the one trend which I'm seeing from my experience in reporting over the years. Brilliant. Thank you, guys. I think that's quite a good, um, you know, uh, back and forth and, and, and a lively discussion. Um, I think that was enough time for us. Uh, that was all the time we had for taking questions. Um, but um, I'd like to thank you both. Uh, for your time today and for sharing your thoughts. Uh, to our listeners, um, I thank them as well. I'm, uh, thank you for taking the time and for your lively questions that came in and that prompted a good discussion. Um, as a reminder, Reorg is a global provider of credit intelligence, data and analytics for law firms, investors and advisors. Um, if you're already a Reorg subscriber, please send any further questions you have on this or other topics to customer success at reorg.com. Uh, thanks again for everyone for joining. I hope you have a great day ahead. I'm signing off. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye -bye. 
Thank you again for listening to the Reorg Weekly Review. Find all our podcasts on the reorg.com media page as well as Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Hope your families are healthy and safe. Have a great weekend and see you next Sunday.